when we collect this proprietary data, we can often see in the data that there's opportunities for new products to be developed. This is a concept that we based on that's called the digital twin. Once you can build in analytics into the product, you can understand how the customers use your product and what they use your product for. This is the ERP Organizational Change Journal podcast, brought to you by Nestle & Associates, a Newport Beach, California-based ERP organizational change management firm serving the private equity industry. The ERP OCJ seeks to share expertise, insight, experience, and research, and to create effective conversation to help guide ERP organizational change to real, measurable, and verified success. And now, here's your ERP expert and host, the founder of Nestle & Associates, Dr. Jack Nestle. Hello everyone, Jack here. Today we have a special guest who's an expert in private equity, value creation, and digital transformation. Today's guest joins us to shed light on how private equity firms can leverage digital transformation to unlock unprecedented growth and success. Joining us today is Bruce Sinclair, a seasoned professional with a 30-year career spanning mathematics, science, high technology, business, and investment. He is currently the managing partner at Digital Operating Partners, a specialized consultancy for private equity. Bruce has been a thought leader and an influencer in digital transformation space and is the author of The Private Equity Digital Operating Partner. Joining us from San Francisco Bay Area, Bruce, welcome to the show. Hey, Jack. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate being on your show. Yeah. Likewise, uh, we really appreciate you being with us today, and, and I'm really looking forward to sharing out some of your great insight here for our listeners. Uh, but before we get started, Bruce, can you tell us more about yourself, uh, further introduce yourself to our listeners? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, well, like you said, I started out well, way back when as a mathematician and was a professional programmer for a little while, really loved it, but moved into business on the product marketing side, and this was in uh, software uh, businesses. And in product marketing, I it was in uh, my my career actually started in so visual effects and movies and TV shows and video games. So not meaning in particular, that was when three D graphics were starting to move into into games. They had already were. For example, our software was used in Jurassic Park, you know, the first times where there was a digital creature that was you could consider a starring actor and. That was the area that I kind of cut my teeth on the business side, the technical side, and from product marketing after the company I worked for was acquired, I kind of moved on more on the brand marketing side and kind of like the fluffy stuff as opposed to the hardcore stuff. And that was fun. And, and that was with a company called Avid and they were doing video editing. So not only did they do a special effects software when they bought our company, which was Softimage from, from Microsoft, they did video editing. And from there, after another acquisition, I was able to leave and, and go on my own. And I was the, I was the founder initially of a, of a startup. And then I was uh, the CEO of a number of different uh, software companies, including artificial intelligence company. And that was great and, and was really good from an educational perspective. And also, I really loved it. But at one point, I just decided I was for something where I had very few reports and I didn't have very many bosses. And so I went into consulting. <laughs> and uh, that's where my initial venture into consulting was with IoT Inc. And that was when Internet of Things was really starting to come in a big way. And then actually my first book 
is called IoT Inc. It was published by McGraw Hill. And that was where I started my consulting. And I, and I think I was doing consulting for maybe about five, six, seven years when I was approached by a private equity firm and their, our client. And um, they were in the process of raising a, a debut $1.5 billion fund. And I joined them as um, an operating partner, hence the name Digital Operating Partner. And in the end, uh, there wasn't enough business because very specifically, maybe we'll get into it, the type of companies I help. Uh, are very specific. And so I left and then recreated IoT Inc., uh, but in the form of digital operating partner, and we're a fractional operating partner organization, but we specifically focus on, as you said, it was digital transformation, but I can get into details a little bit more, but specifically high technology digital transformation. So using proprietary data, which is generally going to be gathered by uh, the Internet of Things, so it's going to be sensors and instrumented, and then using artificial intelligence, uh, data science to interpret that data. And that's where the value is created. The value, the value that we create is for more traditional companies. So I don't work with software companies. Although having said that, I have client as an artificial intelligence software company. So, okay. So I guess I do. But generally the, the focus is on <laughs> old school companies. And these are in, thus, in the industrial sector, in the infrastructure sector, in the manufacturing sector, and it could be a bit in the real estate sector. I've done something in the farming, in some in the farming sector as well, in the agriculture sector. Um, and what we do is we we take these companies, we then instrument where the value is being created for them, for their customers, and then we use that data, that proprietary data, and that's very key, is the proprietary data comes off of whether that's going to be an internal system or that's going to be a product that they develop and then they sell, again, old products, and then use the high technology, Internet of Things, uh, artificial intelligence of the two core ones to then take that data and create value. And that value, it really depends um, on where where we're going, but but that's at a high level. That's, that's kind of what I do today. Well, thank you, Bruce. I'm really excited to have you on today because your background certainly demonstrates your extensive uh, expertise in private equity value creation and, and certainly digital transformation. Um, and I'm confident with your wealth of experience, uh, your insights will prove highly valuable as we explore these critical aspects in depth. Uh, and you're right, there's some areas there that you touched on that I'd like to dig into a little bit here and uh, share sure. out with our listeners. Uh, listeners, all of us here at the ERP OCJ hope you find this podcast useful as we share lessons learned, discover best practices, and explore the human element components of ERP organizational change. Please stay with us till the end. Bruce will give us his actionable golden nugget of advice based on today's conversation, and I will recap our key discoveries and offer my suggestions on how to implement what we've learned. Our conversations here are built around the listen and learn approach. It's when you apply what you've learned that you will begin to move the needle forward. So let's dive in. So, Bruce, my first question for you is, could you further explain what smart digital transformation means in the context of private equity and why it's more than just IT and digital marketing? Yes. Uh, so the way I, I kind of look at, I mean, if you think of digital transformation, it's such an, an overused uh, term that it almost has lost its mean. And particularly in private equity, when we talk digital, often what I'll get back is, um, oh, that's IT. And that is that is a type of digital transformation, no doubt. If you're if you're moving a payroll system from, and again, I'll go old school, you know, from some uh, Quicken, QuickBooks or something like that to something more sophisticated or even something even less sophisticated than QuickBooks, that is a, a transformation and digital is, is part of it. 
But I kind of look at digital transformation in three different layers. The first layer is that IT and the ERP layer. And the second layer, I look at it as, let's say, robotics and RPA systems, where this is truly just RPA systems are kind of like robots, but they're soft robots and they, and they click on interfaces. And so this is kind of, let, let's say the first one is more the infrastructure level. The second layer is more the, let's say, the operations layer. And then the smart layer, this is the technology, like I was saying before, the two main ones being Internet of Things, artificial intelligence slash data science, also augmented reality, um, let's say uh, 3D printing, things like that. And the difference there, if from a smart perspective, is the concept of using proprietary data, as I mentioned earlier. And that's really the key for everyone listening, is that if you think about your company, or if you think about a portfolio company, there's going to be data in that company that can be used to uh, create value. It's really as simple as that. And where I focus more is not so much on the operations layer, as I was saying before, but more on, so for manufacturing, as an example, you might've heard of listeners, you may have of industry 4.0 or industrial internet of things. And that's the process of using data again for efficiency. So now if we start looking at value creation, we can look at three different the three different areas of value creation. The first one being revenue growth, you know, and that breaks down into in about five different areas, uh, if you like, of how I, I kind of look at a at a company. The second one is margin. And the reason I bring that up is in manufacturing, that's what you're doing. You're trying to improve the margins and you're, you're using uh, technology to make things more efficient. And then the third one uh, where I help these, uh, let's say old school companies is on the valuation models. A few different areas that you can garner, you can ratchet up the valuation multiple, which is very important when you're thinking about selling it, whether you're selling to a private sponsor. But it's the process of, well, you know, literally transforming a company that is really analog, let's call it analog. Let's say that they make things made out of metal. Uh, which which an alliance do big metal pounded in this place uh, by hand sometimes it's 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 manufactured with different machines but in that area if you transform the company and, and generally the process is just at a very high level come up with a digital investment thesis come up with a digital transformation plan execute that digital transformation plan, and then prepare for exit but if you look at the the exit multiple Generally, what we're doing is we're creating structural changes within the company and changing them from bending metal companies to companies that now incorporate software engineers and incorporate data scientists with the organization. And those structural changes, among others, another one is the digital, which comes from just being more like a digital. When you start looking at comps, uh, when you're selling the company. So where where I focus mostly though on is not on margins, although we can do margins, but I believe there's a, lot, a heck of a lot more opportunity when we start looking at revenue and then what I just mentioned on valuation multiple. And so for the revenue, this is this can come in a number of different ways, but it all comes again from proprietary data. So that can be from innovation. And so this is going to market market share expansion. So if you have a more innovative product, you're using digital, um, that would be one example. There's there's customer expansion. There's uh, uh, market expansion, as I was saying. There's pricing. There's there's around five different areas that, that we focus on. And we kind of look at each of those areas. But at a high level, again, when we go back to the digital transformation, 
what I think separates it from, let's say, the infrastructure and the operational is that we're using this data, we're transforming it into, into useful information. Generally, I'm focused on the product. And that product can be infrastructure. It could be operating that product. It could be selling that product. So yeah, I, I don't know if that's clear enough. That's kind of the differentiation, at least in how I approach digital transformation. Yeah, that's great, Bruce. I appreciate it. And you touch on some ideas that uh, a lot of uh, a lot of folks or firms don't think about in the context of digital transformation, and they should, right? Uh, like as you'd mentioned, margins, evaluation multiple, uh, digital investment thesis. You know, looking at the comps, exit multiple, uh, revenue from proprietary data. Uh, I mean, those are great ideas to be sure. You know, so as you'd mentioned in your intro, Bruce, you were a key player in an AI startup. You wrote a book on IoT. So, and this is kind of a general higher level question, but how can private equity firms leverage high technologies like AI and IoT to create meaningful business value within their portfolio companies? What would you have to say to that? That's one question that we get frequently. And I'm curious what your response would be to that one. Um, so... Yeah, at a very high level, we do the same thing as when a P firm is purchasing a company. They're going to come up with their investment thesis and they're going to look at creation uh, levers. Uh, similarly, what we do is we come up with a digital investment thesis. And that digital investment thesis, I can get into the nuts and bolts, but what we're doing is very familiar. We're looking at customer retention. Is there a way that we can apply technology to uh, the value, the overall lifetime value of the customer? We're looking at how do we expand market share? As I was mentioned before, that's generally going to be innovation. So that's going to be making what you sell better so that you that you get more market share. Um, we look at customer expansion as well. And that is how do we sell more to our existing customers? Um, and that can be through, I'm a big fan of service business and connecting the data that we get from the products to generating high margin service business. Consumables also is, is an area where where we can do it. But just keeping on rattling it off, a product expansion is, is when we collect this proprietary data, we can often see in the data that there's opportunities for new products to be developed. And so it's now, this is a concept that we based on that's called the digital twin. Once you can build in analytics into the product, you can understand how the customers use your product and what they use your product for. So that that's a usability model and model. These are artificial intelligence models. Uh, that we incorporate in almost every single engagement that we do. Uh, and then there's pricing optimization. So, you know, everything I've mentioned here, pricing optimization, when you can understand how your customer is using your product and how they're making money from using your product. So this is now, I haven't really talked about business models, but business models is, is an area also of value creation. So answering your question, how do we create value? But when we can understand how our customers and our customers, when I say our customers, I mean our portfolio companies, how they are making money, we can then quantify the value that we are, we are providing our customers to make their money. And once we can quantify the value that we produce to have our customers make their money, if you're following the chain of events, then we can really yep. price our, we can now price our products. And this can be a service as well. And generally they are services and getting it to the business model. But generally when we can understand, when we can quantify, and this is where I, I keep on mentioning proprietary data, but when we can quantify how our customers are making money with our product, again, the portfolio company's product, we can then price it very accurately. So, you know, you have caught cost plus pricing. And of course, as many firms that many of your listeners may use for pricing that are focused, you know, strictly on finding the right price. But when you have the data 
for how the customers are making, then you can price it very, very accurately. And that becomes a, a value. And then moving into the business model side, I have intentions or, or the exit model, but these are all the ways that we do it. But I'm still going high level just to say that we do the exact same thing. But now we start getting into somewhere where we maybe diverge, whereas you might have an operating partner for pricing. You might have an operating partner that has really good marketing experience. And so you can try to uh, expand your market share just through marketing, not necessarily innovation. But when we can understand the business model of our customers, we can invert our business model and our, again, the business model of the portfolio. We can invert our business model or we can create a whole different business model that interfaces with their business. And there's a whole, well, in my, in my first book, if anyone wants to get into detail, there's really five, I believe, pretty much every single business model for these five business models. But we can move through the various different business models um, to provide one that is a win-win in the sense that the customer, since we're quantifying the value that we produce, and that's very important that you quantify the value. It's not just, oh, it's going to be better and it's going to be more valuable. It's no, it's going to be more value by this amount and it's going to be this much value to your customers. But once we can do that, we can build a business model that interfaces with theirs such that it's a win-win. So let me give you a um, the most basic business model is a one-and-done uh, product sale. So we'll use Tesla's. Uh, so you buy a Tesla, pay your money, and it's done. Now, it's a little different with Tesla, and it's a little different in the products that I know companies, in that what we do, unlike GM, and this is catching on them, but unlike old-school car manufacturer, once the sale is made, and in fact, you don't even make the sales done through a distribution network, and so you don't even know practically who the customer is. But Tesla, and that being a smart car, and then we can now apply the adjective, yeah, the adjective smart to products. So if you're listening, what does your company do? We can add smart to it. What's your portfolio companies do? We can add smart to that service or to, but once what they're doing initially in that initial business model is not only is, is selling it traditional, but they're now, they have this tethered connection through again, this proprietary data and this data is generally gathered from the internet of things, but there is a connection between Tesla and the customer and Tesla and the product. And so, uh, for example, we move into the next business model. And I was talking, and I can go more. But for the number two business model, this is a product and a service business model, and that is where you buy the product, but then there's an ongoing service that you can sell. Uh, this can be an information service. This can be, as I was saying, an actual practical service where you're, you're turning wrenches. But Tesla does this, and I'll give an example. One of the things I really, really is is fintech um, because. You can insure products. Once you understand how the product, remember I mentioned the usability and the utility model. Once we understand how the mm -hmm. customer uses the product, we can then insure that product in a way that's profitable, very profitable for us and probably lower cost to the customer. As an example, uh, Tesla now is going to be offering car insurance. Now, my daughter, who would be demographically in a, she's now in her 20s, but when she was a teen, I remember uh, when they were both on the payroll, I was paying for their car insurance. It was my son, I have a son who's a couple of years and my daughter. Now, my daughter was the worst driver in the world. She, she, she was a speed demon. She got into a couple accidents, <laughs> including with my car, her car. Um, oh. Where on the other side, my son, he drove like, a, he drove like an old lady. And he, but their insurance premiums, uh, my son's premium was almost up. So this is an example of a product service business model where one type of service, and there could be many, many others, but uh, for continuing analogy uh, or example, it would be car insurance. 
And if you know how the, and this is, this is going back to what I mentioned earlier, when you have proprietary data and you have that connection between you and the customer's product, you can then gather, gather information for a variety of different reasons, but one of them is to sell services. So that would be a, that would be a product service business model. And the next step uh, beyond that would be a service business model. And I guess we'll use the car the car example. Um, that would be one service business model for a car. Would be you pay for how many miles you drive it. No, it could be it could be like a lease where you pay for how many months you drive it. So that's just the time dimension. So the the pivot bear there is the time dimension. But you could do a number of miles driven. Um, and so if you think about an industrial product, let's say it's a wood chipper. I'm just making this up. Um, you could introduce you being the portfolio company. You could introduce a business model that says, "Hey, we're going to own this wood chipper, but we're going to let you have it." And the the business model will be: the more you use the wood chipper, the more you will pay us. And implied in that is, if you're using the wood chipper, you're making money from using that wood chipper. So that's an example of a win-win and a different type of business model, let's say, than a, than a traditional company would consider, like a wood chipper, because they don't have that they don't have that proprietary data that I was talking about earlier. So um, how do we make money for these companies is really, uh, at a high level, the exact same way that private equity firms make money uh, for these companies today. Maybe not so much on the business model, but a little bit on the business model. But we use the digital technology and, again, this data, uh, this proprietary data to then translate you know, into value. So, so that would be my long-winded answer to that yeah. question. Good stuff. No, thank you, Bruce. I, I would like to ask you more about the role of the <laughs> digital operating partner. And in fact, as you'd mentioned earlier, you wrote a book called The Private Equity Digital Operating Partner, uh, and we'll include uh, links to that in our show notes. But could you tell our listeners more about the concept and how it can benefit private equity firms? And, and Bruce, I think you would admit it's not uh, exactly every day, every private equity firm where they have a digital operating partner. So could you tell us more about that concept and, and its benefit to PE firms? Uh, sure. And, and it's true that there's very few firms that do have digital operators. Um, the concept is, is again, just the same as an operating partner. Uh, that operating partner might be a supply chain expert. They would look at each of the companies and, and the type of companies that the firm would purchase. Would Generally, if they have a supply chain expert, it means that that's kind of the niche that they're focused on. And so for each of the portfolio companies, this operating partner would look at the company and try to uh, find a proprietary and create value with their expertise in that, in this example, supply chain. In our example, the digital operating partner, uh, we don't do IT, uh, we don't do ERP, that middle area either. We don't. Um, but what we do do is we look at a company and we look for a proprietary angle that feeds into the digital investment thesis. And we try to understand uh, with all these levers that we have at our disposal, how do we create value? So the concept of a dig of, of digital operating partners and having a fractional digital owner is that it's just a it, it doesn't replace uh, the existing operational improvement team or value creation team whatever it's called or maybe you don't even have a team but what it's meant to do is to look at deals if that's close or look at companies post close and try to identify where can we create value by using at a core again the Internet of Things so we put sensors on things. And then uh, artificial intelligence or data science in some cases, and how do we create value? So it's just a, a very focused expertise 
on digital technology and then marrying that with the understanding of private equity, but looking at how do we create an investment thesis strictly on digital. And we model this as well. If you're going to put in $1, what are you going to get back in terms of the return on investment? So it's really high level, the exact same thing as any other operating partner, except for in this case, it's not in-house. You're using it because maybe not all your uh, fit the characteristics of, of how I could help, how digital operating partners can help. So it's, it's bringing in an operating partner that, whether it's myself or someone else on my team, that has high experience and potentially, hopefully, at a very high level, the sector as well, because there's, there is importance on, on, on the sector and, and in particular how things work. But it's just bringing in an expert that looks at a deal with a different eye. And sometimes this is looked at before close, so diligence, uh, they want to maybe have a little bit more conviction on the price, and so they may price the deal at what you know what they how they currently do it, and then they may they may tap us to say okay we're we're thinking and they're not going to give us the numbers obviously but we're thinking this is something we're interested in where do you see some extra value and then we can look at in the case of pre diligence we can look at the company and say look we think that these are the the four main areas where we create value very roughly this is what we think the return on the technology investment would be and then the buyer can then use that to maybe up their uh, their bid because often these are not proprietary deal auctions and you know that just gives them a little bit more conviction about it so yeah high level is the same as any other operating partner except for the expertise has been the stuff i've been speaking about up until now bruce what, what would you say or what are the specific or or the most common challenges do private equity firms face when it comes to digital transformation based on your experience it's just awareness i think um, there's awareness now, you know, from even a year before, there was like very little awareness. People have heard AI and, and this and that, but at least now there's a little bit more awareness. But I would say that's the biggest challenge is still awareness that there is, uh, this is just another tool, you know, just another tool in the, in the PE firm's um, arsenal to be able to create value. But there is another way of, of creating value uh, for certain types of companies. And so most of it, most of the challenges is really just awareness and not knowing that it's there. Once once I engage with a PE firm and we start talking the language that they understand, and that goes back to the creation techniques, but just using digital instead, it all clicks in. It all comes down to the same thing. Uh, effectively, is if we take a dollar of money that comes from the portfolio, can we invest it? What's the best way that we can invest that? And so what I propose to, to the companies I work with is do that with all the different value creation techniques, do it with digital, and then base it on the return on investment. And it really just comes down to that. So, yeah, I think it all comes down, in, in my view, I love the technology. As you heard, I'm a nerd originally, but what I like is value creation even more. And even more than that, I like quantifying it's being created so that our, our customers, that being the PE firms, a leg up at the beginning or uh, in the middle, and then specifically on exit, because the nice thing is there's always a long, uh, there's always a, let's say a roadmap. And so once you've started the structural changes, you've identified the roadmap. So whether that's going to be another sponsor that's going to pour or sell to a strategic, there, there's, lots, there's lots of work to do on Exit as well. We can just leave it at that. 
So Bruce, just to drill a little deeper there, you mentioned earlier how you utilize modeling uh, in a previous answer. You talked about this idea of modeling. Can you walk our listeners through the value discovery process that Digital Operating Partners uses, or in your book, uh, uses to identify untapped value within portfolio companies? And how does that tie into this idea that you've described previously with proprietary data? Can you walk us through that process of value discovery a little deeper? Sure, sure. So let's talk about a few different types of models. So the first thing is everyone should be aware and is sometimes isn't as clear in the popular media, but artificial intelligence, data science are based on models. So effectively what you're building a model, you take, you take a certain amount of data, it could be a subset of that you have in hand, and you build a model. And then you improve that model over time and use this model to approximate reality. And so in a lot of cases, the models that we build are a digital twin. And then what we're doing is we're simulating the way that this wood chipper, as an example, works. The second type of model is, so I'm not sure which one you're referring to, but the model is we modeling our return on technical investment. And so that's looking at at the company structure, that's looking at margins, that's looking at where we think we can improve uh, revenue growth where we think we can improve margin and then how we think that we, uh, the multiple, the exit multiple. And each of these we model as well in terms of how does it impact uh, impact valuation. So at the end of the day, we're going to be looking at EBITDA and at how does uh, revenue growth and margin EBITDA. And then we're going to look at um, how does what we're expand, expand the exit multiple. So that's a very high level. How the process that we look at is kind of based on a playbook that I've developed before that it was, it was similar, but maybe called in, called different names. But there's a playbook that we kind of go through that's almost like before a, uh, before a flight takes off, the pilots go through a checklist. And so what we have is, is a very broad checklist that's that's been based on the last seven years or so of our experience. And we kind of just, in a very numb way, go through each one of those and then try to project it onto the company, the portfolio company. And then it's kind of like, let's say, a, a bottoms-up approach. So we're, we're making sure we're not missing anything. The top-down approach is generally going to be, it's going to come from imagination. And this is really looking at this wood chipper, going back to that example, um, and seeing, wow, you know, what I really see here, and I'm just making this up, is wood chipper insurance is super expensive. Here's an opportunity uh, for product expansion for this wood chipper firm. Um, let's build in a model. In this case, it's how is the wood chipper used and what's it used for? Let's build in a model, going back to what I was saying, uh, for creating insurance and then being able to price and underwrite that insurance and so the company can unwrite the institution. Now. But in any case, um, at a top level, you might just be using your imagination and just looking at the market dynamics. What sectors is the company in? What are the competitors of this company? And then what are the macro dynamics of that industry? And what we're looking for in all cases is going to be some tailwinds that only improve over time. And so that's kind of the that's kind of the top down approach is, is just using experience, using your experience and your imagination to say, and then looking at the sector, looking at the competitive space, 
It could be, for example, how are they losing against their next best competitor? So it sounds pretty thorough a little bit because it is in the sense that it's really just looking at the situation, using experience and using imagination to come invest with thesis. The other way where I started was doing is using the playbook. And that's just a brain dead approach of just going through one thing after another, after another, to make sure that when you were doing that top down, you didn't miss anything. Uh, so that's the approach. Sure. That's the approach. That yeah. Well, good stuff. Uh, thanks, Bruce. Um, Bruce, as a digital transformation thought leader, what future trends do you see emerging in the private equity digital transformation space in particular? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. We've been doing it for a while. I was the CEO of, a, of an AI company, but the trend is AI. And I think we've seen this in the last year, AI, Microsoft, uh, big players. But the big trend, the future trend, which is starting just now, is using artificial intelligence for value creation. It's a simple, not necessarily for sourcing deals, not necessarily for looking at what companies to invest in. You could use it for that too, but in this case, it's actually for of the portfolio. And that's been what I was talking about earlier. Now you can have two companies that use AI, let's say it's off, off the shelf AI, but the differentiator, I'm going to say it again, because I've said it, be a drinking game, um, <laughs> proprietary data. And so the and this is this is good. this this is really important because I've said it so many times. But the trend is artificial intelligence. But where I really think where to look in terms of value when you're evaluating a company or you're looking at your portfolio companies is what type of data do you have now, and the data would be useful to you. And so yeah. So the, but the future trend is artificial intelligence and utilizing it to create value. Super. Thanks, Bruce. Um, so one last question. Uh, again, thank you for your time today. And it was a, a fun conversation. But I'd like to ask you for your golden nugget. Uh, given all that we've discussed today, could you briefly summarize the key takeaways our listeners should remember? So in other words, based on these insights, what is the single most valuable piece of advice you would offer to our listeners as they navigate their journeys regarding private equity, value creation, and digital transformation? Well, it's going to be one last drink because I'm going to say the word again. Again, and that's going to be proprietary. So mm. the, the nugget is for every single company, um, there's either going to be data that's already there. And I'll use an example. One um, portfolio company asked, and it was for the transmission of gas. In any case, they had a library and they had a library, literally, let's say 20 feet by 40 feet full of paper. And that paper was the models that they created over the years it was for the different services uh, that they could produce, and it was for the different parts for the different models and, and so forth. And it was all. Now, that company there um, is a perfect example where you could use, let's, see, let's talk about Gen AI, uh, where you take in that data, you ingest that data into a digital form. But one of the challenges that this company had in this particular case. So again, it's not going to be a generic, you know, for every company, but in this particular case, they had a big library of, of, of paper data, and then they had a shortage of technicians. And that was, there were a lot of the, a lot of their, their best technicians were retiring and they're having a hard time hiring their technician their place. And so one of the challenges that they had was trying to pass on the tribal knowledge that was, well, this is a perfect example where uh, Gen AI can take that data and then can can transform it in, into a model, as we were talking about before. In this case, there'd be different models. We could have the part model. We could have the, let's say, the model, model, <laughs> the, what type of model it was. And then the third one being, which is the one I like to talk about a little bit more, is just the 
servicing model. And so if you could take this data and at a very high level, you could ingest it, build a servicing model, then you could have your new service professional query it and query it like, how do I you know, fix this? Or I, I'm seeing this happen. Now, this is something that generally would take, you'd have to talk to someone super experienced or you'd go through some sort of um, relational database, I suppose, if you're more sophisticated, although the clients that are that sophisticated. But this would be an example of proprietary data and where there's a lot of value. In this case, where it is is for margin expansion because we our services for a lower cost. Um, but yeah, yeah, proprietary data would definitely nugget. Every company either has it or they can produce it by strapping on, let's say, sensors in a very simple way. Good stuff. Thanks, Bruce. As we wrap up today's episode, I want to emphasize the wealth of insights we've gained from our guests, Bruce and Claire. We dove into the world of private equity, value creation, and digital transformation, and Bruce has shared some invaluable perspectives and strategies, to be sure. Bruce's concept of smart digital transformation and private equity is a game changer, and the digital operating partner approach he discussed has the potential to unlock untapped value within portfolio companies. But remember, Knowledge alone is just the first step. It's when you take action and apply what you've learned that you truly move the needle forward. So I encourage all of our listeners, whether you're in private equity or in any other field, to take the insights shared today and put them into practice. Bruce, thank you so much for your time today. I highly recommend your books to our listeners, and we will uh, certainly put those in our show notes. And I really appreciate your dedication to your trade. Um, but before we go, can you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. DigitalOperatingPartners.com is a good place to start. There are plenty of case studies there. You can see what we've done for it. So you can see if there's a, a fit for you. Um, the other thing is I don't do that often because I'm pretty picky, but I do have the Digital Transformation uh, podcast. If you're interested in maybe getting into a little bit more detail beyond what Jack and I have been speaking about, that's another good one. Super. Well, thank you, Bruce. Uh, thank you again. Uh, thanks for sharing your experience and insight. Uh, be well, and we'll certainly talk soon. Thank you, Jack. I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the ERP OCJ podcast. This podcast is intended as a forum to study, share, and discuss ERP organizational change successes and challenges. We discuss the people, process, and technological components of ERP organizational change by drawing on knowledge from extensive research, collaborative learning, and practitioner expertise and experience. We are incredibly grateful to have friends, colleagues, and mentors join us in our podcast as we seek to promote, connect, and foster relationships in the ERP organizational change community and contribute to its success by bringing research and practice closer together. We want to make sure this is the most useful and insightful ERP podcast you listen to, and we'd love your help in doing so by leaving us feedback and a review. A great place to do so is at Apple Podcasts. Just click on the Listen in Apple Podcasts link, then click Ratings and Reviews, and let us know your thoughts. You can get more info about the show, including show notes and episode highlights for this and all of our episodes by visiting nestleandassociates.com and clicking the podcast option. Please join us again next week as we discuss the latest ERP organizational change research, practice, and stories. And don't forget to follow us on social media, hashtag the ERPOCJ. Thanks again for listening. Have a fantastic week.